So this morning, uh, have, you ever, have you ever sometimes said, some people? Have you ever had something happen in your life? You go, some people. Have you ever said that? I have. You know, just think about that. So I want to show this video as we get started this morning. I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. Some people only care about themselves. No one cares about your stupid vacation. Some people treat others poorly. Do with there's certain know. things that are right and there's certain things that are wrong. No. So don't believe what there's foolishness. Some people only care about being right. Some people don't seem worth the time. But the truth is... Most people are just working to get by. Most people are terrified to reveal their scars. Most people are fighting an invisible battle. Most people are worth the effort because all people are created in the image of God. All people carry the glow of the divine. All people matter enough. for God to become one of them. God thinks every person is worthy of love. Imagine if we did too. Let's be a church where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible. that kind of church everybody's welcome nobody's perfect and anything is possible that sounds pretty good doesn't it and it, and i love that video because in all those situations whether you were the on the good end of that or the bad end of that and i've been on both sides of that little parking lot deal <laughs> i've been when somebody took my place you know and then i've also been oblivious because it was all about me you know and i pulled in and go oh that person was waiting on that you know sorry you know that kind of thing but in all those situations, you noticed that all those people were from the same church. Wasn't that interesting? You know? And they all were in that community of imperfect people trying to come together and be who God's called them to be. We're all on different levels. We all have different things. I don't know, I, I don't know about you moms, but I think that, that mom let those kids off a little easy on that one, wasn't it? That, was, that house was a wreck. If I would have come home, I would have been doing something really hard with that pillow. But anyway... It's one of those things. But, you know, it is. You know, it's, it's, that's the way church is. And we're all at different stages in our life. And God's trying to take us right where we are and bring us to a point where, where we need to be. And that's the beauty of the church. And we're all at different stages. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to share a story with you. It's a little bit of a disturbing story um, to, to, to try to make a point this morning. So 
Uh, I, heard, I read this story recently, and uh, it was a, uh, an African-American minister was in a, a big town, a major town, and he's kind of new to the area, only been there a couple of years, and there's a big, huge megachurch uh, in this town. And uh, the uh, preacher of this megachurch is, is, is white, and he asked him to go to lunch, and he's kind of curious about why does he want him to go to lunch. His church is not that big. He's not really a big deal. So why would he invite me to lunch? So he says well, they go to lunch, and he says he, they sit down, and uh, he says uh, uh, all of a sudden this guy just burst into tears and starts crying. He says, you know, it's very awkward. It's the first time I met him. He's crying, and he says... Um, he said, God has blessed me so much. He's given me a wonderful wife. He's given me great kids. He's given me this incredible church, you know, and I, I'm known all over the country, and people know who I am, and, and I'm just so blessed. But he says, I'm having such a hard time just sleeping through the night. And he's going, I'm not a therapist. You know, I don't know, what, what is this guy spilling his guts for? I don't really understand all this. And he says, well, I just came back from this big church conference that we go to every single year on the other side of the country and a bunch of a bunch of the guys got together and we're talking about um, uh, racial reconciliation and cross-cultural ministry and usually he says when the black leaders come into the meeting we make them feel right at home and let them be a part of the decision-making process but to be honest with you he says the decisions are made long before your leaders even get here and he says, I've, all, I've always been used to hearing some of the jokes, some of the racial slurs. But this time, the jokes were going on and people were saying things. And it just didn't sound right to me this year. I don't know what it was. He goes, how can I get over this? How can we be friends? And he's just like, I don't know what to say to this guy. This is so awkward. I appreciate him admitting what's going on and, and, and feeling bad about it. So he said, finally, I said, do you like football? And he goes, yeah, I like football. He goes, well, I love football. He says, I, I coached in high school. I coached in college. I have some friends that are in the NFL. So you like football. I like football. Why don't you come to my house? Bring your wife. Our wives will get to know each other. We can sit down. We can watch football. I'll grill, on the, uh, I'll grill us some steaks, and we'll just get to know each other. What do you think about that? And he says, you want me to come to your house? You're inviting me to your house? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, so I... So I gave him my number, and I said this. I said, look, if you want me to sit here and clear your conscience for all this stuff you're saying you feel bad about, there's no way I can do that. I can't clear your conscience. He says, but what I can do, he says, I can be your friend. And friendship is not cheap. It takes time. It takes commitment. And he said, I gave him my number and said, call me. The guy never called him, never heard from him again. And you know why? Because that guy wasn't serious, was he? He just wanted to feel better about himself. And we have a whole culture, we have a whole political culture in our culture today that wants to sound good and feel good and all that kind of stuff, but they really aren't about building relationships with people that are different from them. And you might say, man, that guy's a jerk. But somewhere in there, y'all, I'm a little guilty of that too. Is that sometimes I want to feel good about things and so I'll say or do something but when it comes to actually changing my behavior, changing the way I think, the way I've been brought up, the way I've been raised, the things that I believe, that's a little harder, isn't it? It's harder to do that. And I can feel all kind of ways I want to feel, but until I actually change my behavior and do something and try to say, hey, I've got to change by my actions, not just my words, it's not going to happen. So I want you to think just for a minute. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've had to rethink things very differently, the way you've believed, the way you've been practicing, 
for so long. You were raised in a certain way. You can't help that. You can't change the experiences you've had. But at some point, you start thinking about those things and the way you act and the way you say things. And sometimes you go, I got that honestly. I feel that way sincerely. But I'll be honest with you, that's just wrong. I may be sincere about the way I've been practicing and doing all these things. And that's the way I was raised and that's the tradition I was brought up but something's just not right about that. Have you ever felt that? I don't know what it is for you, but we probably all have things like that. So is it possible for us to be wrong, to be doing the wrong things and thinking the wrong things with seemingly good or pure motives just out of respect for the people that raised us and that we've been brought up with? Yes. I think that's possible. Well, the minister in that story, like I said, he didn't really want to change his behavior. He didn't really want things to change. He just wanted his feelings to change and feel better about things. He was not willing to risk some of his status. He was not willing to risk some of his time and his commitment to really say, this man is valuable. The way we've been treating these folks in our convention or our conference or whatever is wrong, and I want to feel absolved from that, but I am not really want to do anything other than just say, hey, make me feel better about myself. I don't really want to have a relationship with you. I just want it to sound good. Well, today I want us to talk about, we've been going through Acts. We've been talking about multiplication versus division. And I know we've got our young people in here. It's the fifth Sunday, Family Sunday. And uh, so that's the first one. So y'all mark it down on your sheets. They got little sheets. They're supposed to be listening. Okay, that's good. Just giving y'all heads up there. Make sure you're awake with me, all right? We're glad y'all are in here this morning. It's, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to have y'all with us at least uh, every fifth Sunday. I know y'all do your normal thing in there. But we're going to be talking about multiplication and division, multiplying the church, not dividing the church. And those kind of things, when we've been brought up and thought a certain way and we know it causes division the older we get and we don't do anything about it, then we're part of the problem. And we've got to see that. And we've seen in the book of Acts that in that early church, anything that was dividing of the church, whether it came from outside forces that we could not control, God was allowing His Holy Spirit to work and continue to multiply the church anyway. There was a guy named Saul who was persecuting the church from the outside, and God did something amazing to take care of that. And we're kind of skipping over that day to go to another chapter, but that was an amazing thing that God did. There were things internally that we've talked about that God says He allowed His Holy Spirit to work on the leader and said, we are not going to allow things inside the church to destroy the multiplying, the growing of the church inside. We're not going to let that happen. But I want you to talk today about Peter who takes actions beyond what he's experienced, what he's been taught. He is a Jewish person. He's been raised in the Jewish law his whole life. He is uh, major league into it. He believes this with all his heart. Okay, And so he is getting ready to have an experience where everything that he's been taught, everything that he's practiced, all these traditions, all these laws that he's been following his whole life are all of a sudden going to be up for jeopardy, and he's got to make a decision. Should I keep following the law, the things I've been taught and practicing my whole life? Or God has revealed something to me that I need to pay attention to very, very clearly and move forward in a new direction. And also the guy that's involved with him, a guy named Cornelius, is going to all of a sudden hear some things and think it's very different from the way he grew up in his tradition and the way he's been raised and the things that he's seen in culture. And he's got to risk getting involved with somebody very differently culturally than him. And we're going to read about what happens. It's from the, um, there's basically two visions that God gives two different men. 
And both of these guys are seekers of truth. Peter is absolutely seeking the truth of what God wants him to do. And he knows it's hard. I've been brought up in a certain way, and certain things in my culture have been this way for so long. And Jesus has challenged me on that, but I'm still trying to see that. And Peter has seen that God has sent somebody named Philip down to the Samaritans, people who were half-Jews, and he was like, Really? They're receiving the Holy Spirit? Let me and John go down there and check this out. And they do, and they go, This is amazing. God is doing something through the Samaritans. And then he hears about this Ethiopian treasurer that we talked about last week. God allowed him to receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized, and now he's gone off and to share that in another part of the world. That's amazing. But Peter himself is seeing these things and hearing these things, but he's not really necessarily doing these things. And it's getting ready to kind of rock his world a little bit. You know, Kevin was talking about God messes you up sometimes with something. This is what happens to, to, to Peter. He gets messed up by something that happens to him. So I'm going to kind of go through this kind of fast. We're in chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 25. But before that, I want to just kind of give you some background. So this guy named Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's in charge of 100 uh, other soldiers. Okay, Roman centurion. Okay, That might be a little scary for Peter, if you know what I mean. He saw Roman centurions, Roman soldiers kill the guy that he had followed for three years that he believed was the Messiah, the Son of God. So he's probably got a little bit of, ooh, uh, Roman, uh, I don't know if I want to be involved with that. But this Roman centurion has a vision from God. An angel comes to him and says, God knows your moral ways. He knows that you give to the poor. He knows that you are seeking God. And this man was in the middle of prayer when this angel came to him. And he says, a man named Peter. I want you to send some people and find this man named Peter. This is exactly where he's staying. This is the name of the man he's staying with, Simon the Tanner. I want you to go and ask him to come to your house. And he's like, "Uh, an angel says anything to you, you're going to listen, right? But he's like, what? Why this Jewish man? I know how they feel about Rome. I know how they feel about soldiers. We're the ones that were responsible or at least had a part in, in uh, putting Jesus on the cross. And this is who this guy follows. Why is he coming to my house? And at about the same time, Peter is gone up onto the roof of this house, Simon the Tanner. We don't really know exactly who this guy was, but he's at his house. And he goes up to pray, and he has this vision of all these animals that were unclean for Jewish people to eat. If you want to read some really, um, almost said boring, but exciting things in Leviticus, all right, about all the dietary habits in the Bible, if you have trouble sleeping, I promise you, you won't if you read that, all right? But they talk about all these animals you can and can't eat, okay? And there was a reason for that. Some of them actually would make you sick and would hurt you. But some, God was saying, I want you to stay away from those because you are my chosen people. And the things that you do, the rest of the world is watching about our relationship. And when you obey me and trust me on those things, even though you may not understand them, but when you do them and trust me in faith, the rest of the world is going to go, I don't understand those crazy Jewish people, but you know what? They love their Lord and they obey him. And he blesses them. And they are blessed by him. That's an amazing thing. So that may have not made a lot of sense to other people when they saw him practicing it. It made a lot of sense. So he sees this thing of a sheet coming down with all these animals. And it says, go ahead, eat it. And Peter goes, no, Lord, I've never done that. And he goes, don't ever say anything that I made that was unclean is not clean. Don't say that. And he saw this happen three times. And he's going, what is he saying? My whole life I've been told I wasn't supposed to eat those things. And I just had this vision with a sheet coming down with all these things I'm not supposed to eat. And I haven't been. I thought that was the right thing to do. And now you're telling me, don't, don't, don't listen to that anymore? I don't understand. What does this mean? And then he says, oh, and by the way, some men are going to come to your door where you're staying at Simon the Tanner house. And they're going to be from a man named Cornelius. And I want you to go with them. 
They're going to take you to this Gentile, this Roman centurion named Cornelius, and I want you to go with them. Trust them. So he's trying to figure all this out, and all of a sudden he hears these guys hollering his name. Hey, is this where Peter is? And this is where we come to in our, in our text today. So chapter 10 of Acts, and we're going to start in verse 25, 24, I believe. So the following day, um, that's not right. So, um, yeah, so the following day, um, he arrived, Cornelius, in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. And so Peter has met these guys. He's let them stay overnight with him. They are Gentiles. He's a Jew. This just did not happen. You didn't even go to their house. You didn't let them stay, but he's spent the, he's let these guys spend the night. Now, it wasn't his house, but still, he's, that's just something he never did growing up. And he's just having a real hard time with all this. And so they get up the next morning and they go. And Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and friends. Verse 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Now this is important, y'all. This guy's ready to bow down. He's heard about Peter. And he says, get up. I'm just a man just like you. What are you doing? And then he immediately says, hey, now it makes sense. And he's thinking about it the whole way he's traveling. He's thinking about this vision. He goes, this is not about eating animals. This is not about my diet. This is something much bigger than that. It's about the people of God, about everybody deserves to understand what, who Jesus is in the hope. He says, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to even associate with you, but I'm coming into your house. Why did he need to say that? He's saying, you know what? I've been wrong thinking for a long time. I've been believing some stuff that was wrong. I've been thinking that only certain people deserve God's grace and God's mercy, and I've been wrong. He tells them that right off the bat. Now, instead, he could have walked up and go, okay, yeah, God came to me and told me, I'm Peter, I'm here, you probably heard about me, I'm a pretty big deal. I just preached at Pentecost, 3,000 people came forward, are you all ready? Turn or burn, let's go. He didn't do any of that. He's so humble. And before he even starts on the message of Jesus, he says, I want you all to know, I've been raised to not even associate with you, and that's been wrong. And I now realize that. God has revealed that to me. I didn't figure it out on my own. I'm hard-headed. I'm a fisherman. I don't get it. Jesus has been doing a powerful thing in my life. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me that he's sending me here for a purpose. I heard about the Samaritans. I heard about the Ethiopian treasurer, but I wasn't doing it. I was going, hey, good for Philip. Good for what he's doing. But now God's saying, no, I want you to go to a Gentile and share the good news. And he's going, this is amazing. So he tells him right off the bat. So you can know there's a little tension there. He's like, is there going to be somebody standing behind the door and they're going to arrest me? Oh, you were one of Jesus' guys. But none of that happens. The guy falls at his feet. Now, think about Roman centurion for a minute. This guy's a good guy. He's been seeking God for a long time, and now God has revealed to him, I'm sending you somebody that can explain this to you. You know who God is, but you're not sure about this Jesus, but I'm going to make it clear to you. Now, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read about at least twice a Roman centurion that Jesus has an encounter with. The first one comes to Jesus and says, My servant is ill. I want you to heal him. And Jesus goes, all right, let's go. And he goes, no, no, you don't even have to go there. I know all you have to do is say the words and my, my um, servant will be healed. 
He goes, I understand. I, I, I'm over a lot of men, and when I say do this and do that, they go. I know if you'll just say the word. And Jesus goes, that is amazing. The Jewish people that are close to me, they don't have that kind of faith, but you do and you're a Gentile. Amazing. And the gospel writers tell us about that. When Jesus was on the cross, there was a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. And after all these things that Jesus said and all this stuff he sees going on around him, he goes, surely this man was the Son of God. And so I believe that Peter, when he's thinking about these things, he's going, that's right. I've had an encounter with a Roman centurion that was good at least twice in my life. God is doing something through this. So let me go back to the Scripture if I can remember where we were, okay? So, um, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, he goes, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this very hour. Notice, both of them are praying when God reveals something to them. That means they have to not only be praying, but listening. You know, sometimes in my prayers, all I want to do is I say, God, help this person. I'm, I'm telling God everything he needs to do in my life to fix. Heal these people, make this thing work, do this for my kids, all that. You, you fix all that. But do I really listen? It's like Mother Teresa when she says, when I pray, I don't say anything, I just listen. And so they're obviously in tune with God by their prayers. So he says, I'm praying the other day, and I was in my house at this very hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me, verse 31, and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. They are so open to this. How can you say no to this group? Then Peter began to speak. I now realize, and again, he's sharing his heart. He's being completely transparent with these folks. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what has happened throughout the power of, uh, through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God, notice he didn't say, y'all killed him. He was, he was careful there. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By, the, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. Now, I know that's long. Y'all still awake? Everybody with me? All right? Good. All right? That's a long, but this is the longest account in the book of Acts. And there's a reason for that. This was so monumental. This was so important that God wants us to know this is a big deal for Jewish people who have been raised and been doing things a certain way for so long to realize that, wait a minute, when Jesus came with this new covenant, 
Things have changed, and everybody has the right to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to hear that, and they're willing to hear that. And Peter is willing to share that with these people. And so it was a, a great opportunity. So as I read that and I think about that, two different men seeking God, but at very different places in their life. But they're hearing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to both of them. And you go, wait a minute. This guy doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Cornelius has not been baptized and had the Holy Spirit. Now, we're always used to hearing that you are baptized so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice something in this passage? What happened first? Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit came first. What? Oh, my gosh, there goes my doctrine and theology. But this was, I don't understand this completely, except for God was trying to show them immediately when they heard Jesus, something in them physically, emotionally, spiritually changed inside them. And it said the people that were with Peter went, this is amazing. What did that say, this is amazing? They were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they had been raised to believe that all their lives, that nobody could receive God's love and God's power except for the chosen Jewish people. And they're realizing, gosh, how wrong are we? How messed up have we? How have we not gotten this? And if they really had read the Old Testament, and if we really read the Old Testament, we see this was God's plan all along. But sometimes we can get very selfish about our faith, can't we? I want it to be mine, my church. My Jesus, my faith. And you got to be on my level to get it. You ever feel like that? It's not supposed to be that way. And so Peter's understanding this. And he's seeing, these two guys are both risking things. Why is this Jewish man coming to me? I've seen my whole life, Cornelius is thinking, that they have pushed us away. You can't go so far in the temple. You can't do this. You're not good enough. You're not, you're not up here yet. You can't be there. And now he's coming all the way to my house. And I know he's not supposed to be even in my yard. But he's not only in my yard, he's in my house now. He's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, I want to baptize y'all. And then they ask him to stay, and you know what? He spends the night. So what? He spent the night. Big deal. That's a huge deal for them. You didn't even go into their house. You didn't even associate with him. And now you're spending the night with them. God has made it clear to Peter, and he's finally getting this. He's finally connecting with this. Peter admits his fears and his wrong assumptions and lets these folks know, I'm on a journey just like you. I'm in a different part on my journey. It's not higher, it's not lower, it's just a different part on, along that line, just like you are on a different part of the journey. And all of us are, y'all. And he's trying to help them. God's telling me something, he's telling you something, even though we're on different parts of our journey. He still wants us to know who he is. And it's about relationship, not religion. He's been practicing all these religious things. Oh, I didn't eat those animals. Lord, I would never do that. He goes, great. But that's not relationship. My kids can do a lot of things out of fear that I'm going to get mad. That's not relationship, is it? Okay? I said a smart like comment to my wife, which is a lot, the other day. I said, what are y'all doing on your phones again? <laughs> you know, I'm always getting on them because they're on their media too much. She goes, no, we're just building relationships. Because she was with the kids. I'm running around the house complaining about what needs to be done next. See, it's about relationships. And we laugh because we kind of understand that, but the same way in the church sometimes it's all about rules and we're all, we're making sure everybody's picking up rules. You know, those kids spill coffee all over and donuts all over the floor. What in the world? They were late. They were this, that. Music didn't come on on time. We were on a point now. It's relationship. And some of us, you know what? Y'all want this new church to grow, don't you? 
And you know what? It's going to take us not just saying, yeah, we're going to do outreach and yeah, we're going to do good things. No, some of us need to invite somebody over to our house and watch football and have a steak together. Just like this minister was saying, if you really want to get to know me, then prove it by coming to my house and let's just do life together. And that's, I know y'all are willing to do that, but we've got to be able to do that. But here's the deal, y'all. In the new church, there's going to be people that are going to be coming and they're going to hear our songs and they're going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. They're going to see us doing communion. They're going to go, I don't, I don't get what that is. They're going to hear people pray, and it's going to be awkward to them. And they're going to like, oh, I don't know. What, what do I do? Do I close my eyes? I don't you know. And we've got to be able to come alongside those people and, and just sit with them and say, I know this is awkward. And one time I went to a um, University of Tennessee football game up in Knoxville. And I'm telling you, that is a whole culture thing, man. It was crazy. And I was awkward because I was sitting next to all these fans, and I was like, help me out here. I don't want to be the odd man out. You know, and they were kind of explaining that as we went along. But it's the same way in church. We've got to take people on and say, I know you're here, and I know some of this seems awkward. Let me just kind of help you with that. And we've got to be looking for people and be willing to do that just like Peter was. He saw someone and says, I know this is awkward for you, it's awkward for me, but I'm making a step in your direction because I know God's calling me to make a step in your direction. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be like Cornelius and bow down and go, oh, well, you know, some people are going to reject you for a while, but you've got to keep doing it anyway because that's what God has called us to do. And let me just tell you this about rejection, y'all. Do not look at that as a sign that you're not doing it right. Did anybody reject Jesus? Yeah, shake your head. Yes, that is yes on that answer. They rejected Jesus. They continue to reject Jesus. That does not mean what he's telling them is wrong. So when you're trying to share the good news with people and they reject that, that does not mean you're doing it in the wrong way necessarily. It just means that that person's going along that journey and they're trying to figure it out. So we want this church to multiply. We must be willing to look at everything that we do, everything that we need to be able to ask. God, what are the things that I'm doing in my life? What are the things I'm saying in my life that are going to draw people to know you as a personal relationship? But what are some of the things that maybe I'm pushing people away that I need to change? Show me that. Make it real to me, Lord. What attitudes, what things am I saying or doing that I may give the impression that they're not valued, that they're not important in your church? What do we need to do to see your church multiplied? And all of us got to be asking that constantly. Well, this morning I want to just kind of close with an interesting story. Now, some of you kids are in here today. Have you all ever heard of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? You can still watch it on YouTube if you've not. Now, I know some of you older folks, and I'll use older very carefully, okay? I consider myself older. But there was a show called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. If you've never seen that before, you need to allow your parents to, because that's the beauty of YouTube. You can just find all our old shows, you know? Well, in this show that went on for, gosh, 25 years. You know, this guy named Mr. Rogers has a little neighborhood. And he had all these people in the neighborhood. There was a guy in there. Do y'all remember Officer Clemens? You remember that guy? He was the police officer. He's a very friendly guy, okay? And he was African-American. Now, this was way bigger deal than I really thought of. As a kid, I don't think anything of it. It's a black policeman. What's the big deal? You know, they're black, they're white, whatever. You know, but this was bigger deal in this story I'm getting ready to tell you. So this is, this is the story from... I think his name was Francoise Clemens, who played the role of the friendly officer in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for 25 years. And he says uh, he was the first black actor to have a recurring role on, the children's, on a children's television series. And surprisingly, Fred Rogers was clearly, at the time, going out on a limb by recruiting him. And, and this guy, Francois Clemens, said, I grew up in the ghetto, he says, and... Uh, 
I did not have a positive opinion of police officers. Policemen were sicking police dogs and water hoses on people. And I really had a hard time putting myself in that role. I really didn't want to do it. So I was not excited about being Officer Clemens at all. But I also knew this was an opportunity to, to, to you know, I have this opportunity. Am I going to go through this door or I'm going to let these things keep me from doing it? So he took the role. And he says, over the decades he spent on the show, there's one scene in particular that stood out for him that really it was, was uh, just a defining moment for him. He said there was in 1969, there was an episode that aired in which Mr. Rogers was outside on his porch or something, and he had one of those little kiddie pools, and he's sitting in a chair, and he's, he's got his pants rolled up. You know, wow, Mr. Rogers getting out of control there, you know. <laughs> Took off the cardigan, and you're soaking your bare feet, you know. All right, so he's cooling his feet, and he invites Officer Clemens. Hey, Officer Clemens, come on and soak your feet with me. And he says, he does, and he sits down, and he soaks his feet, and he says, uh, Clemens recalls this. He said, The icon, Fred Rogers, not only was showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin as two friends, but as I was getting out of the tub, he was helping me dry my feet off. What is that symbolic of? And he says, I'll never forget the day Rogers wrapped up that program, as he always did by hanging up his sweater. Remember that? Changing his shoes. He says, You make every day a special day just by being you. And I like you just the way you are. But this time in particular, Rogers had been looking right at Officer Clemens. And after they wrapped up, he walked over to me. And Mr. Clemens asked him, he said, Fred, were you talking to me? Yes, I've been talking to you for years. And he says, but today you heard me for the first time. And he says, it was like telling me I'm okay as a human being. And that was one of the most meaningful experiences I ever had on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It's an amazing story, isn't it? I had no idea. Now, maybe some of y'all don't know, but Mr. Rogers was actually a minister in, in real life. Not that that's not real life, but it's even better that he was making real life real life. If I'm going to talk about the gospel in my church, if I'm going to talk about how friendly we should be to everybody in the neighborhood, people need to see it. Fred Rogers in 1969 knew that there was injustice. There was people being treated a way they should not have been treated. And he did something about it. He didn't just say, hey kids, be friendly to everybody. He did something in that thing, in that episode to say. And then afterwards, he's looking him in the eye and he goes, he knew he was talking to him. I've been trying to do it for years. And what does that tell you? I've been trying to tell you that for years, Officer Clemens, but you didn't hear me because there was still some stuff from your past. And that stuff is real from your past. But once you let the power of God, the power of love, get inside of you, you can put that past behind you and move forward and say there is forgiveness, there is hope. Everybody's not bad. And y'all, we need to maybe be that voice of somebody that's struggling and say, everybody's not bad in the church. Everybody's not bad that's this group or that group or whatever group. Yes, there's bad people, but you know what? Those bad people can become the people that God's called them to be through the power of the Holy Spirit, can't they? They absolutely can. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's why Peter went out and said it. Now he's going, wow, God, you weren't kidding, were you? The things that were happening in Samaria, the things that were happening to that Ethiopian, these are real. And now that I've experienced, I went out on a limb and I trusted you. And when I'm going to share it with somebody and I see the transformed lives, Cornelius and his whole family was baptized. You think he, and he says he asked him to stay and he stayed. You know, when he's laying in Cornelius' house, staring up at the ceiling that night, he's going, wow, God. Today I thought I would never be, you know, all my life I've never been even in a Gentile's house. Here I am. Laying 
in bed at a, at a Gentile's house, and now they're all followers of Christ, just like me, because of your power. Thank you, God, for setting me straight on that. What does God need to set you straight about? What does he need to set me straight about? There's some things in there, and he wants to do that. So if you're here today and you need to make a decision for Christ, the first step is saying, God, I want to be obedient to you. I want to humble myself. I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. And that takes just by taking a risk. Yeah, it's risky. People go, hey, what are you coming forward for? Hey, what are you doing? No, we've all been there. We're all sinners saved by grace, all of us. And that good news is available to everybody.